Greetings, welcome Parkview, we're glad to have you here, glad to have you if you're just uh, checking us out. We're in this series called Bus of the Bible, I'll explain along the way, uh, not an easy one today, I'll explain along the way. I was in uh, San Antonio last weekend, got to go to a pastor's conference for large church pastors, which was phenomenal, just encouraging because there's a lot of young uh, leaders coming along and a lot of churches doing really well. You hear about all this, all this talk about you know, how the church isn't doing very well in America today, and I know overall people are less and less interested in the things of God, but there is a pocket of people that, that things, are, things are really happening as they are at Parkview, and, uh, and they're popping. I got to, we got to stay around uh, since we were off last weekend and uh, go to Max Licato's church down in San Antonio. Max says hi if you read his books. Um, really fun. It's good to be in another church because, you know, it makes you miss your own. I mean, I love being there, but they're like a little more quiet, a little more subdued. Like you could hear yourself singing worship, which is never really good, you know. They had the drummer in this plastic cage. I swear it had a lid on it. It looked like a piece of Tupperware. I mean, I don't know how the guy breathed without scuba gear in there. But, but, but it was awesome to be there, awesome to hear, you know, Max preach and do all this stuff. And, um, man, it, it just made me want to be home. i got to be honest with you. I just really wanted to be here because Parkview rocks. We're doing Butts of the Bible. Um, several years ago, we took this challenge uh, from a, a spiritual writer named Dallas Willard who said, I've yet to see a church actually do what Jesus asked them to do. And we're like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, in the Great Commission, Jesus actually asked us to teach them everything he commanded. So we kind of took that upon ourselves as a church, and we said, you know what, we've got to do that. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is by doing this Butts of the Bible series. Uh, this, these are the buts. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, from the Sermon on the Mount, some of Jesus' hardest and most important teaching. But is a transitional word that's one of the most important words in the English language, right? This was going to happen, but this is going to happen. I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. And nobody did that more than Jesus. Nobody shook things up more than Jesus. That's why they killed him, okay? So these buts are really important. As a matter of fact, his whole message was it used to be about religion, but now it's about relationship. I want to show you a new way to do all of these things. But this is hard stuff. I mean, if you didn't catch it already, this is about marriage and divorce, okay? Uh, very, 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 very hard stuff. Is this Butts of the Bible series kicking yours a little bit? I mean, that, that's kind of what's supposed to happen. And, and we get to marriage today. I mean, who, who doesn't struggle with this in their own life? Somebody said marriage is like a deck of cards. At the beginning, all you need are two hearts and a diamond. And after a while, you wish you had a club and a spade. <laughs> Come on, that's funny right there. I don't care what you say, that's funny right Matter of fact, by the time we get to the end of this teaching that Jesus is going to give us today, the disciples are so shell-shocked, they're so blown away, they literally say, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. That was a test. I was just going to see if anybody said amen. Good, you passed the test, good. But when should I get married? How do I stay married? Really, really, this is pretty simple. Our friend Tim Hawkins, who is a Christian comedian we have in here every year. He'll be back again in August. Uh, we, we love Tim Hawkins because he kind of sums everything up in a funny way. And he's, he's written this song. Maybe you'll recognize the melody. This is how to save your marriage. Very, very simple right here. the choreography myself. Hey, honey. 
Johnny, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cuz I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who's done that, a long and happy life, is up to you, to Solo. Okay. Your cooking is okay, but not like Mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. <laughs> You're a man who wants to live long and happy love that too. These are the things you don't say to You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife. These are the things you don't say to There you go. We can just have communion now, right? We've solved it. Um, this but that Jesus is going to give us today is another one of the statements that turns the religious world upside down in his day. Because religion is about the rules, and when you're following religion, you're looking for loopholes. That's basically how religion works. I'm going to figure out how much religious stuff I need to do to make God happy, and I'm going to look for loopholes. It's like a lot of people have told me about Lent. I mean, Lent is a great thing. If you're doing it, I hope it's a wonderful thing. It's not in the Bible, but it's a great idea to kind of help acclimate yourself and get ready for the season of, of resurrection, which is getting ready to happen in Jesus' crucifixion. But I've heard some of the dumbest things for Lent, haven't you? I mean, one person told me they gave up watermelon for Lent. There's no ripe watermelon available right now. You know, one guy said, I gave up beer for Lynn. I'm like, okay, cool. He said, I switched to scotch. I mean, does that help? I don't know. I mean, the, the whole idea of looking for loopholes was what was going on with religion. That's what happened. And, and Jesus told us, he said, don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's not the point. I came to fulfill it. That's what I've done. I've come to fulfill them. That's what's important. I'm coming to show you what's, what was going on on the inside, what God wants for the inside of you, not following a bunch of rules and regulations. I've said it this way. I think this is the best way for us to remember it. Religion is about what God wants from you. Jesus is about what God wants for you. If you don't remember anything else but that one statement, it will probably help you interpret the Bible in a completely different way for the rest of your life. Religion... It's what people say, what man says, God wants from you. God wants me to do this, he wants me to do that, he wants me to do this, and he's not going to be happy if I don't do it right, so I need to find loopholes. Jesus was about, look, and this is what the butts of the Bible are about, it's look, this is about what God wants for you. This is the best way to live. So week one was, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you hate your brother... You've committed murder in your heart. You're going to live in a kind of a hell inside of your own heart, even if you have hatred inside. 
The second week, last week, Tim Sutherland did a great job talking about adultery and said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've lusted, if you've committed adultery in your heart, it's the same thing. Because if you're unfaithful on the inside, it doesn't matter what happened on the outside. It's still not going to work. And we've learned through this that before sin is birthed in our actions, it is conceived in our hearts. And that's where the real problem is. Because wherever sin is, there is not going to be abundant life. In my own Bible reading, I ran across this verse really struck me this week. I mean, when I say that, I need, I need, to, understand, I need to help you understand. It's not like I haven't read the Bible before, okay? It's not like I was reading along and I was like, oh, there's 2 Corinthians. I didn't know there was another chapter, another letter to the Corinthians. It's just that when I was reading this from 2 Corinthians, it just struck me. Because the Bible is living and active, okay? It's always helping you no matter what. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible. You need to read the Bible every day because God is going to do something in your heart. And as I'm reading 2 Corinthians, it's talking about the, the, the fact that God makes ministers, all of us who are ministers, He makes us competent. God made us competent as, as ministers of the new covenant. Not the old covenant, the new covenant. And he goes on and he, and he clarifies, not the letter, but the spirit. It's not about the letter. That's what you're going to learn about divorce today. It's not about the letter of when you can and when you can't and what you're supposed to do and when's the loopholes. It's about the spirit in which it was given. Because the letter kills that kills your relationship with God. If all you're trying to do is follow the rules, it's going to kill your relationship with God. But if you can understand what the Spirit does, the Spirit gives you life. The Spirit wants to help you. That's the point. And God made marriage, and He knows what's best. So if you stay with me today, I know this is going to be hard for some of you. Stay with me to the end on this. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, second marriage, third marriage, Larry King marriage, Elizabeth Taylor marriage, I don't care. If you'll stay to the end, you're going to understand something more about how God created marriage because God is the one who did create it. And it's not about a rules and religion and what are the loopholes and when can I get out of this. It's about what God started. And Lee Stanley says it really well. He said, the reason marriage is in such bad shape in our society today, it isn't because of Hollywood. And it isn't because of the media or the judicial system. The reason is because the church gave up the biblical model long ago because it seems too impractical. So let's listen today to what Jesus says in this next bud of the Bible from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in Matthew 5.31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, but, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Come on, Harlow. Last week we heard if you lust after someone, you're an adulterer. This week if you're divorced, you're an adulterer. Is anybody in here not an adulterer? I don't know. There's some kids in here. Congratulations to you. Right? I mean, I told you this was going to be tough. These are big butts and I cannot lie. Sorry, I've been wanting to do that for three weeks. Uh, it has been said, okay? But I say to you, what are we talking about? It has been said. That goes back to Deuteronomy 24. Here's what it has been said. Jesus is referring back to the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Listen to this. Sometimes we think, oh, that Old Testament law is so hard. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. It's okay. 
There you go. That's what the Jews were taught. That's what they believed. And that's why they're coming to Jesus going, wait a minute, Jesus. Moses said all we had to do is write a letter and say goodbye. But you say that it's deeper than that. You say that there's something deeper than that in marriage. We're confused. Jesus is referring to the law of Moses' time where marriage was so messed up. What was happening was that men were kicking their wives out and not divorcing them. If you kicked your wife out in that culture and didn't divorce them, they couldn't get remarried. They had two choices. They could go back and live with dad if he's still alive, or they could go into prostitution. So Moses came along and said, look, you've got to at least give your wife a legitimate divorce because we've got to protect the women in our society. Sometimes the Bible, people, people say the Bible and Christianity is against women. You have no idea. You haven't studied the times in which this was written and how this whole thing worked. This, this is the opposite of the truth. But, but Tim, wait a minute. Jesus said they become an adulterer. How does that work? How could a woman become an adulterer if her husband decides that there's something he doesn't like and kicks her out and gives her a certificate of divorce? How could she be an adulterer? Jesus, you must be confused. To which Jesus looks at us and says, maybe you are. Maybe there's something about marriage that you don't really understand. Jesus is challenging the thinking of the day that a piece of paper was a divorce and it was no big deal. Apparently to God, marriage is a huge deal. Maybe we've missed something along the way. They came to Jesus later on. best way to help understand this is when they came to Jesus later on in Matthew 19. He's already given this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And they came to test Jesus like they did with the woman caught in the act of adultery that we did a few weeks ago. They didn't like Jesus. They were jealous of him, so they tried to trap, trap him. So they come to Jesus in Matthew 19. The Pharisees came to him to test him, and they said... All right, let's talk about Deuteronomy 24 again. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because they know he'd already said that there's more to marriage than this. Is this okay? Now what you have to understand was the culture in which this was all taken. At this point, the Jews were taught one of two different theological schools. One theological school said you could divorce your wife for any and every reason because that's what Moses said. You could do it. You could walk away. It didn't matter if she burned the toast or broke your putter or called your mom a bad name or whatever she did. You could just be like Michael Scott on the office and go, I declare divorce, right? That's all you had to do. A Jewish male could send his wife away. Here's an actual quote from one of the rabbis in Jesus' day. He said, if a husband finds another woman more pleasing in appearance, he may divorce his wife. How's that going for you? Cancel the cable, honey, you know? And if you think about it, um, maybe it's not much different today. 80% of the divorces today are because of irreconcilable differences. Not because they're being cheated on or because they're being abused or because their spouse isn't in addictive behavior or any of those other things, but because things just aren't working out. Believe it or not, it was worse in Jesus' day. I know you're going to find that hard to believe, but think about what you know about the Romans, uh, about what was going on back during that time of Jesus' day. Romans didn't believe in marriage hardly at all. The Ro wealthy Roman men would just find slaves. They would just hire slaves to take care of their physical needs. And then when it was time to, to get an heir, they would just go find somebody and say, okay, you're my heir, and I'm going to give it to you. This is how it's going to go. So the setting into which Jesus is speaking is one in which marriage was actually viewed even lower than it is today. And in this one statement, 
I mean, the Jews are thinking that Deuteronomy 24 says it's okay to divorce for any reason, and the Romans don't even care about the Bible. They don't even get married in the first place. And it's into this culture that Jesus makes this statement, and he says, hang on a second. There's more here to marriage than you understand. Viewpoint number two of that day was that you could divorce your spouse only for sexual immorality, unfaithfulness. We, we know that situation from the Christmas story, right? Joseph was going to put her away quietly because she became pregnant. I mean, even during the engagement period, if you, there, your spouse was unfaithful to you, porneia was the term that it was used from where we get the word pornography, uh, some kind of sexual unfaithfulness, and then the conservative position was that was the only real reason that you should have to be able to walk away from your marriage. Jesus is not saying that you have to or that you even should. And I don't believe this is about a one-time thing. I believe this is about unfaithfulness because with God nothing is impossible. And I know many people who have come back from pornea. I know many people who have come back and had a good marriage after there was marital unfaithfulness. But please listen to the rest of this verse so that you can understand why Jesus is taking the conservative position here today about marriage. And it's not because he wants to join with one theological school or the other. It's because what we haven't figured out, what the Romans have completely lost, and what the Jews completely lost throughout their, their ways of just dumping women and not worrying about the, the value of women in their society, what has happened is we've lost the original intent. Haven't you read, he goes on, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Heard that verse before? Maybe at your wedding. Jesus takes him back to Genesis, and he says, look, I appreciate what the culture that we live in right now, and I appreciate the rules and the loopholes that you guys have figured out to get out of doing the original intent of marriage, but the original intent of marriage was God made them male and female, and he joined them together. Let me just say this, okay? I understand that our culture sees living together as a viable option, alternative to marriage, kick the tires, so to speak. That was not God's plan. That was not the original intent. He put marriage together to be a permanent scenario. And the chances for divorce go through the roof if you live together before you get married. I'm just going to tell you that practically speaking. And yes, I understand that our culture sees long-term committed homosexual relationships as a form of marriage. And before you go saying, well, you don't understand, my aunt was gay all of my life, lived with the same partner for 35 years until she died of breast cancer. I do understand the scenario. The problem is that is not God's original intent. We welcome you in whatever state you're in. We're all sinners saved by grace here. But you need to understand what the original intent was. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, you, you want to go through the loopholes and you want to look for the... Yeah, you can say, well, Jesus did this and God did this back in that day and there was polygamy back here and you know God allowed other things to happen you can say all those things you want to say but the original intent was for this reason will a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh gluing together that sounds so permanent doesn't it so forever it was read at your wedding wasn't it I mean, it was read. It's read at every wedding I've ever done. I'll read it at my next kid's wedding in four months. You, I can't. You got to understand if you're new here. 
I'm in, I'm in wedding shock, okay? I got three, three daughters. Last, last May, my oldest daughter got married to this guy from England, and he's a great guy, and they're doing great. They live down in Nashville. And then our middle daughter, Lauren, uh, who is graduating from Wheaton College in May, is getting married this June. Um, and we're excited. Tommy, here's a picture of him. Tommy leads worship for us from time to time. Um, you may recognize him from that. Tommy and Lauren have dated since high school. They've been together for five years. His family are family friends of ours. As a matter of fact, Tommy's older sister and Lauren's older sister are best friends, and they kind of fixed this whole thing up like when they were in junior high. This is almost an arranged marriage, I'm telling you, okay? It does happen. And, and so we're excited for them to get married, but in case you didn't put the math together, last May we had a wedding. This June we have another wedding. I have one more daughter. She's out in L.A. If I see her Facebook status change to in a relationship, I'm on a plane out there to slow that sucker down, I'm telling you right now. <clears throat> Listen to me, Becca. I am not doing another wedding next summer, okay? Knock it off, okay? Two, but I'm going to read this in four months at my next wedding. I, you know, that's what I'm going to say. Two are going to become one flesh. And it's a great wedding scripture when we light the unity candle and we got all this symbolism around it, right? But then we get into the marriage for a while, you know, and we're looking for the club and the spade and we're looking for loopholes and the whole thing and trying to figure out, wait a minute, maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't serious. Jesus goes on, he says, So there are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I mean, it sounds good when we get married. It sounds good to the parents who are, you know, involved in their kids getting married. We, that's desperately what we want. But, but along the way, you know, start to wonder, could we split that one back up into two again? And if you're divorced, you know this to be true. Jesus says, you really can't. I mean, forgiveness happens. Grace abounds. Sure, life goes on. I mean, things are going to be, you're going to be able to go on. You're going to be able to recover. But it's really not what you thought, was it? A piece of divorce paper signed by some legal documents that are signed by some judge somewhere doesn't really split one back into two again. And if that terrifies you, it terrified them. Listen to what they said. Well, hold on, Jesus. Did Moses command? Didn't why then did you, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, wait a minute, Jesus. If you think if marriage is so permanent that two are becoming one, why did Moses say was Moses wrong? Basically, and, and Jesus said Moses permitted you to divorce. Your wives, because your hearts were hard, but it was not that way from the beginning. Divorce was a concession to deal with the breakdown of marriage because men wouldn't take care of their wives. But it was not that way from the beginning. Women couldn't do anything if their husbands didn't divorce them, so he had to permit them to divorce. But it was not that way from the beginning. And what they're asking is, is divorce permissible? And Jesus is saying, I'm not sure it's even possible. Why? Because God joined them together, man and wife. And he goes on, he says, again, the same verse you heard in Matthew 5, I tell you again, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And again, if that's a shocking statement to you, it was a shocking statement to the disciples because we come back around to that verse. Then the disciples said, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said, well, 
maybe. Not everyone can accept this word, but maybe. This is a pretty radical but today, isn't it? Well, how, what are we going to do with this? Well, for one thing, if you're not married, can I give you some marriage advice? Think long and hard, okay? And make sure that you find the right person. And there, there is no one right person, but make sure that you find a person that loves Jesus like you do, and then bond yourself with them in a permanent way and never let go. Or you could take the advice of some kids, um, some marriage advice from kids. How do you decide who to marry, Alan, age 10? You've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> you can say amen to that, guys. How can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, age 8. You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> what do most people do on a date? Martin, age 10. On the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. <laughs> Pretty right. What would you do on a date that was turning sour? Craig, age 9. I'd run home and play dead. The next day, I would call the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. <laughs> How would you make marriage work? Ricky, age 10. Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> How would the world be different if people didn't get married? Kelvin, age 8. There'd sure be a lot of kids to explain, wouldn't there? Well, what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with this? Some of you are on a second marriage, and you know this. You, you know what Jesus just said was true. It's true, isn't it? You thought, well, I'm divorced. He's out of my life. I'm moving on. I sang, forget you, and I moved on with my life. And then I got into another relationship. I got into another marriage, and all of a sudden, all this baggage keeps coming back. Why is that? Because you can't really take one and make it two again. There, there's something that's gone on there. There's something supernatural that happened and the divorce papers are not going to make it go away. And Jesus is not standing in judgment. Jesus is like, I love you and I know what's best for you and you've tried to think that this divorce document is somehow going to dis one you from your spouse but it's not really possible. So don't let divorce be an option in your marriage. Go work on your marriage. Let God in to help your marriage. Okay? Uh, listen, I've I, I got to answer a couple of things. I mean, I don't, this is not the answer for everything. Um, if you're in a physically abusive situation, you, you may or may not need to get divorced, but you sure need to get out of there, okay? There's a whole lot of other situations. Don't take this one sermon and this one teaching from Jesus and try to figure it out. You need to get some counseling. You need to get some help, whatever's going on. But let me answer a couple of questions for you. Number one is people ask me, well, does this mean I, if I'm in my second marriage, I'm living in a perpetual state of adultery? Am I just an adulterer all the rest of my life? No, I don't think so. Jesus does not use a verb tense to make that seem that way. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, according to Jesus, we're all adulterers anyway. And so I, I think you're taking this the wrong way. Some people say, well, should I get out of my second marriage? You wish. No, you shouldn't get out of your second marriage. You should stay in where you're at. As a matter of fact, what happened is Paul came along later and the Christians were like, hey, now that we understand Jesus' is teaching, should we, should we get out of our marriage to this non-Christian person? And Paul was like, no. I mean, if they want to leave, that's fine. There's nothing you could do about it. But no, if they want to stay, you need to stay, and you need to help them, and you need to work on this. The other question that comes up around here a lot at a church is, well, if I'm divorced and remarried, where do I stand in relation to the church? And the answer is, you stand alongside all of the rest of us adulterers. Okay? 
Now, if you're sitting out there feeling all cocky because you're in your first marriage and you're feeling good about it, hey, good for you, man. I mean, stick with this, but don't be looking down at other people. You do not know what other people's situation was. And Jesus doesn't condemn us. If Jesus doesn't condemn us, then the church can't condemn us. And I'm sorry if you came from a church that condemned you or your parents because they were divorced. That's ridiculous. Jesus hung on a cross next to a guy who could not do anything for himself anymore. He was being executed by capital punishment for his crimes. There was no way that guy on the cross that's going to die in 30 minutes could do anything for himself. But he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. You want to know where you stand as a divorced person in this church, a remarried person? You stand in need of the same grace that I stand in the need of, and every other person stands here. And we want to help you. We want to love you. We know that what's gone on has been hard. We have a phenomenal divorce care ministry. There's a representative out there at a booth outside afterwards. I would encourage you to get involved in that. Let me leave you with three decisions today that I think you need to make from Jesus' teaching. Number one, believe Jesus. Okay? Um, you can try to look for loopholes and you can, well, wait a minute, I don't want to believe Jesus. I want to go back to Moses. I, want, you know, or I, I don't want to believe Jesus because Jesus doesn't live in the world that I live in today. He doesn't understand what's going on in my life. You can do whatever you want. Look for all the loopholes you want. I'm just asking you to do this one simple thing. Just believe Jesus. Just be a, a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and not just a fan that's looking from the outside. Just decide, you know what, if Jesus said it, then I, I'm going to believe it. Uh, and get some help. My wife and I should be divorced. I, I know that's going to sound like a, a stupid statement coming from a pastor, but you have no idea. You have no idea what kind of stuff we've been through in 28 years. You have no idea how many times we've been to multiple sessions with counselors to try to get our marriage figured out because we came into this marriage dumber than snot, and we treated each other badly, and we had a lot of baggage get piled up early on in our marriage and we had to get a lot of help to get this thing to where it is today and we are so happy today we love the empty nest we love our marriage we love each other we're great here today but it's because we got some help it's because we believed Jesus and we didn't walk away when we wanted to and we got some help and let me tell you something you need a Christian counselor to help you you need to get away there's a great ministry called the Ravines that's a part of our, uh, one of our sister churches, Faith Church in Dyer. There's some partner churches of ours over there, great church. And uh, they have this thing called the Ravines over in Indiana where you can get away for a whole weekend and spend the time together. My wife and I have done this out to Colorado to a ranch. It's called the Blessing Ranch. The first three days, it's the Cursing Ranch, if you know what I mean. But it's called the Blessing Ranch, and it's for pastors to go and work on their marriages. We've been out there three or four times. I've joked about them making the Harlow Wing at the Blessing Ranch. We've been there. I've been there so many times because I need help. And you do too. And I believe Jesus, believe Jesus, that Jesus wanted us to stay together. And so we stayed together because we believed in Jesus, but we made sure that we got some help doing it. And you need to do the same thing. Tim Keller wrote about some new statistics on marriage in his new book called The Meaning of Marriage. He said, studies demonstrate that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if people will stay in the marriage and not get divorced. Two-thirds. Whatever you're going through, he's saying, two-thirds of you will come out on the other side of it and you'll be happy again. Happier, as far as my experience. The other stat that was really striking to me was that children who grow up in married two-parent families have a two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who do not. 
so, so it's not just about you and your spouse and your happiness. It's about your family. Believe Jesus. That's the first thing. Number two, confess your sin. Own it. Okay? You don't see Jesus pointing his finger at you. Uh, you don't see Jesus in condemnation. As a matter of fact, a woman caught in the act of adultery, he said, where's your condemners? And she said, they're gone. And he said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either, but go and leave your life of sin. Sin. He still nailed it down. It's really important that you nail this down. Whatever it is that's brought you to this point in your life, whatever it is that's going on in your life, you need to nail it down as sin. Don't say, he, Jesus didn't say, well, I know your dad abused you, or I know you were in a bad marriage, or I know this, or I know that. He said, listen, I'm not going to condemn you, but knock it off. I didn't come here to get from you. I came here for you. This is about your relationship. I want to help you, and that sin is going to mess you up. That's why I want you to get out of it. Religion is about what God wants from you, and relationship is what Jesus wants for you, for you. And the best life that you can live, if you believe Jesus, the best life that you can live is the life of A, singleness and devotion to God, like Jesus and the Apostle Paul and many other people have. Or find a person who's committed to Jesus like you are and let God make two into one and stay with them till death do you part like you said you were going to. That's your best life now. Je Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm not going to be mad at you because you mess up your life. I'm just telling you, this is the best thing you can possibly do. And I know it's hard to believe me sometimes, so we have a testimony from uh, some of our lock, some people, in, a couple in our Lockport campus that have went through some really tough times. Just let's listen to them for a minute. I met Tim 16 years ago when we were both working at PetSmart. Uh, he was a stalker. I was working in the groom shop. Um, one thing led to another. We were married in December of 2000. And we have four children, Maddie, Grace, Tyler, and Olivia. We grew our family really quickly. Four kids in five years. You get to the point where, you know, I would always like look to her. You know, she's taking care of the kids. Um, you know, she's, like, I, I put a lot of responsibility on her for, you know, I wasn't a good uh, support system for her postpartum depression and financial struggles and we we neglected we neglected our marriage I definitely needed God in my life somebody to help lead me and that was something that I was lacking I was trying to take control of life on my own and trying to lead my family on my own and that it just fell apart I was filled with you know a house full of kids and a job and a husband but in my heart I was empty and I can see now that emptiness needed to be filled with God. I was filling it with food and money and shopping and friendships that just were not, that's not what I needed. What I needed was a relationship with God. We're pretty close to the divorce. Um, I was at that point really just wanting to give up. I decided that I wanted to fight for my marriage. My sister knew what was going on, and so she called me up one morning and she said, I'm coming to get you. You're coming to church with me. This is important. And at that point, I was too scared to say no. <laughs> I was a little hesitant, but uh, decided it's this or, or nothing. Everyone at Parkview really came around us and loved on us and, and helped us through this. It, it didn't happen overnight, and it wasn't an easy thing. We did counseling, and we, we went on a marriage retreat that was immensely helpful. You start to think, you know, 
just what I can do more as a, a husband for my wife. The hardest part uh, for me for to fight for my marriage was uh, admitting that I failed as a husband and that was really hard as a man. Admit my shortcomings and my failures as a wife and um, and to then accept forgiveness for those. I've seen God influence my family, um, especially with the kids. Um, they see us reading the Bible, um, praying as a family, especially like at dinner, um, bedtime. They see that and they start to, you know, do what we're doing. So now they're they're getting more involved in their Bibles. They're asking questions. They're they're like on fire for Jesus. You know, four little awesome souls that are just ready to go and. Uh, I think we're really seeing uh, the effects. One of our strategies that we have now is when we hit a rough patch. Divorce is not even a word that comes up in our conversation anymore. It's just not even an option. We are going to find godly ways and biblical ways to work through all of our troubles, no matter how big or how small. And trusting that God is going to be there to help us through that has been really big and I know will continue to be a huge part. And that is your best life now. Isn't that right? That is it. Andy Stanley points out, you know what, what's interesting about church history from this? You know, the culture in which Jesus speaks these words is a culture where the Romans didn't marry at all. They just did whatever they felt like doing. And, and even the Jews at that point were getting married, getting divorced, getting married, getting divorced. If they found somebody else they liked, they went and got somebody else. And, and women were kicked to the curb. Here's what's interesting about church history. What, what we find out is that immediately upon the point of the start of the church... Christians decided to believe in Jesus and believe what Jesus said, and they started staying in their marriages. They started being committed in Christian marriage. And Christian marriage became the safest place for a woman in the first and second and third century to find themselves. And all of a sudden, there was this beautiful attraction to Christianity. Because as you know, when you see a 50-year married couple, you see a, a beautiful old couple and you see them together and you're like, man, I would love to have that. That's what happened. Part of the, part of the success of Christianity and the reason it blew up all over the planet in the first, second, and third centuries is because of Christian marriages. Again, I say to you, it is not Hollywood's problem. It is not the judicial system. It is not the liberals. It is the church that needs to stand strong, believe in Jesus, and hold our marriages with the same ideal that God created them in the first place. If you need loopholes, there'll be loopholes. But let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, He created them. And two became one. And what God joined together, let not man separate. Decision number three, for those of you who are feeling pretty beat up right now, is I rely on God's grace. Because this isn't about the letter of the law. This isn't about whether you were wrong and somebody else was right. We're all wrong. This is about the Spirit, and the Spirit gives life. And I have a relationship with Jesus because of what He did for me on the cross and because His grace fills in the gap between any of my goodness and, and heaven and God and my relationship with Him. And can God redeem a relationship that started out badly? If you're in one now, can God redeem that? Well, I don't know. Do you know a more famous affair than David and Bathsheba? 
And from that union came Solomon, who was the next king of Israel and the wisest man who ever lived. Yes, God can redeem anything. God can do amazing things through a second marriage or a third marriage. But you'll never experience that until you decide to believe what Jesus said is true. And put yourself in the situation where with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are going to do what God started in the first place. But is a powerful word. I used to believe this, but now I believe this. Or like the song says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I rely on God's grace because it's not about the past. It's about now. And this is going to be the best now I could ever experience. We're going to have communion at this point. We have communion every week in our service so that um, we can remember that it's all about Jesus and what he did for us and not about anything that we've done for him. Um, there may be people in this crowd listening to me on the internet, whatever, that are wondering, well, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. Thief on the cross just asked. All you need to do is ask. Just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. You've got to own it. You've got to own your sin. I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. It would be good for you to own it up before God, not because he doesn't already know what's going on in your life, but because you need to realize how far that sin has separated you from God. So that when you take this communion, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will remember how much Jesus did for you and how much it cost him. For all of us right now, it's a time, I know this has been hard, guys. I've looked out the crowd every time I've preached this and seen people who are right in the middle of it, right in the middle of a divorce, and it's hard, it's hard for me to do this. And I know there's a bunch more that are there that are feeling regret, they're feeling, man, I wish my spouse would have stayed with this. Oh, if you only understood my situation. All of those thoughts, I know, I know. I'm just asking you to do three things. Just believe what Jesus said, that the right way is forever. Own up to what you've done to be in this place and ask for his grace, and he'll give it. Let's pray. God, I pray for those who are listening who have never uh, decided to follow you, that they would just open up their hearts to you and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I accept you. I want you to come in and be with me. I pray that you'll help them to follow you in the next step of obedience and to get baptized at some point. I thank you for the baptisms we've seen through the weekend, that uniting ourselves with your death, burial, and resurrection. And even the sacrament that we're getting ready to take right now, we'll take on a new meeting for them as we eat this bread and drink your cup to remember you, to remember what you did for us on the cross. I pray that you'll be with all of us right now, whatever we're feeling. If we're in the middle of a divorce, if we've been divorced, marriage isn't going well, even if it is, we're all adulterers, we're all in this together, we're all people who have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And this is not about you beating us up, Lord, we know that. This is about you calling us upward to the life that you actually designed us to live. And it's not always easy 
but we are going to know that we have your spirit living inside of us because it's not about the letter, it's about the spirit and the spirit gives life and you came to give us abundant life. So we pray for that abundant life to happen in our lives and in our marriages. And I pray that years from now there will literally be hundreds of couples who will look back on the butts of the Bible series and say that was the moment when we decided to believe Jesus and stay together. I pray that there will be hundreds of kids that maybe even on the other side in heaven will be able to look back to this weekend and see that it was this weekend when their parents decided that they were going to believe Jesus and they were going to work on their marriage and they have all that to be grateful for. Lord, we know you will have the best plan for us in mind. We believe it. We confess when we fall short of it. And we're thankful for your grace that saves us in spite of it. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.